0: Everybody, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome you to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio Thrive By. I want to thank, hey, I want to thank all of you for tuning us in, turning us on on this auspicious day. A day in the life. This show is so good for what's going on today in the world. A day in the life. A day in the life of each and every one of us that never, ever, really, probably, didn't think in our lifetime we would see some of the things happening in, in the world in, in the spirit of freedom for all. You know, it's interesting, and and, and today's show is, is also something that I was very, very excited to be doing here. Uh, but it's really interesting. I got to sit down and chat with a few of my colleagues uh, not too long ago. And what I mean by colleagues is some of my radio buddies, some of them that uh, grew up through the 60s, play some of that 60s music for you one of these days, but, you know, grew up in a world and a time where, you know, change was inevitable. I mean, and I'm not just talking about the kind of change, you know, that we talk about getting a new app for our phone. You know, I'm talking about the kind of change that, you know, when you think about it, you go from this world of old school television shows like, some of you know' not going to remember this, like Donna Reed, and you go from there to listening to Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, to marching on Washington, to burning bras, and I can go on and on and on and on. But you think at some point, how much change is possible? And what is that about? I want to just say something very, very interesting about the headlines today. And I don't know if my guest is going to talk about this or not. But today's show, Talking Back to Dr. Phil, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology with David Bedrick, joining me here today. You know, there is something about his book, Talking Back to Dr. Phil, that I want everybody to know about. What if we were to take a love-based psychology approach to how we talk with people, help people? What does that even mean, encouraging a love-based approach? Well, let's talk about some of the events of today, if we could. But, you know, not from a political point of view, but from a humanitarian point of view, what does love-based approach to anything really mean? What does that mean? And that's what today shows At This is why I'm excited. It's really excited about this. You know, because at some level, you know, when did we decide, when did we discover in our lives um, that somewhere along the line, We had to meet each other in this world. Certainly, Rumi doesn't talk about this. Neither does Hafiz. But somehow we decided in this world, we had to meet each other from an angry, mean point of view. Then somewhere along the way, we discovered that, oh, there's something called tough love. Ouch. What does any of that mean? How does it help us? How does it heal us? But why, I guess, and boy, this is what I'm waiting to hear about, why are the airwaves? Why are the? Top, why are we so filled with such a level of anger and conversation that really doesn't talk about commonalities or love or anything? Well, today we're going to take a journey. We're going to take a journey with this uh, amazing individual. This incredible author. You know, somebody that is really thinking about. Look, what is going on with mainstream psychology? And what is it that we can point to that works? What is it that we can point to that doesn't? But what is it that we've come to know and a large group of people in mainstream America think is the right way to approach a wound? Today, talking back to Dr. Phil, David Bedrick joining me here today. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about David, and then I'm going to let David tell you about David. You know, somebody that... Uh, understands what it means to enter the world of mediation, conflict resolution, and much more. But beyond all of that, why is his book all about talking back to Dr. Phil? What is the message here? And what does it mean to look at a fresh perspective, a love-based approach? What is that all about? And this is really something I want all of you to have the conversation, as I will today, with David about. David, I want to welcome you to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining me here today.
1: ...and pains and wounds to individuals, and I'm excited to talk to you about all of it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if you know what I was alluding to today, but, you know, honestly, I was doing my show earlier today. I do a lot of radio uh, during the day out of Seattle, and I was doing a show today, and I'm doing a show, and out comes the headlines, Right. Yep. And the headlines are all about the Supreme Court decision um, that happened today. Uh, and, it, and, and regardless of what side you come out on, one of the things that was really fascinating was to look at some of the headlines. And one of them I remember, you know, uh, you know, we get on radio, we're all digital now, so we get these messages that pop up. One of them that's, uh, that came out said, love, love saves the day. And it was an interesting thing, and I thought, okay, we're getting ready to do this show. But I wanted to ask you a couple of questions before we get into talking, you know, when did we decide? I mean, I don't know if you're from my generation or not, but somewhere along the so- uh, along the way, we went from being love children, you know, growing up in a world where, you know, love was to lead. To a place where anger is what mm. gets the headlines, Interesting. Uh, watching somebody absolutely melt down becomes a high point in our pop culture and i don 't know about you, but i 'm just starting to feel it 's a little odd. What do you think
1: I think it represents, it represents a certain kind of process, dr. Pat, that needs to be attended to, but before I go into what I think about that, that aspect. I, I'm, I'm empathetic with you, especially when when it is trying to educate people about healing. And what we're seeing is lots of judgment, shaming, anger, uh, nailing people to the wall, uh, kinds of things uh, tend not to be psychologically healing in, in themselves. That tough love—I love how you said, "ouch." It's, yeah. It's not the—it's not an atmosphere that in my therapeutic office I'd want to put people in. Very rarely do people need me to. Pin them down in that way. There are moments, but it's not it's not often, and it doesn't and it doesn't last forever. You shouldn't treat a person like that forever. So I'm with you on that uh, on that score.
0: Well, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about, first of all, I've said this to you before, uh, that I absolutely love your book and I love Thank what you, you stand for. I love a love Bay psychology principle, mm-hmm. and and let's talk about this before we can get into the conversation. You know, it's. People would think, well, wait a minute, you know, what are you talking about? You know, this is psychology. This is Dr. Phil. You know, this is, you know, psychology is about this. Somewhere along the line, I I think we have taken the what is psychology versus how we practice psychology to a couple of different ends. They're not one and the same, are they?
1: What is psychology and how we practice psychology? That's yeah. Better. So, for
0: example, you know, you could be a love-based uh, uh, therapist, or you mm-hmm. could be a, uh, you know, uh, an, a a confrontive-based uh, therapist, uh, psychotherapist, mm-hmm. and ending up in different results. So, I, I'm just curious about, in your opinion, how did we get to this
1: place? The place of having the criticalness, the judgmentalness, <laughs> the harshness, yes. the toughness. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think. I think there's a few things that come to my mind. One is many of us have and need support to be direct with people. Hey, Dr. Pat, I didn't agree with what you just said, and it didn't feel good the way you said that. Hey, partner. Hey, child. Hey, parent. Hey, boss. uh, You know, um, the way you're talking to me is not going to work. Or, hey, employee, look, I have to give you some really direct feedback. So because many people can't be congruently direct challenging directly. I don't mean by sarcasm and putting people down. Right? Um, I spent all, uh, a bunch of years in law school, and I learned the difference between a good question and, and sarcasm. Right? Some right. of the law teachers would say, so who do you think you are? That's not a question. <laughs> right? That's a put-down. But tell me why you have that opinion about the Constitution. That's a good question. So right. I think because many of us have a need to be supported to be direct, there's a kind of pleasure in seeing somebody else do it. Now Uh I'm going to tell you what I really think because the models for that are few and far between TV and movie models. For instance, show a person say, "Now I'm going to tell you what I think," and they walk out and they slam the door, and everybody applauds. <laughs> and I right. think, wait a second, the conversation's just starting. It took you five years to say that. Don't walk out yet, right? <laughs> wait for a response. So I think, I think that's part of it. But the other thing that I'm thinking about, with regard to your earlier question as well, there's a lot of conflict in the backroom, in the background, that's not had. So today mm-hmm. we had a Dolemy decision, and it's a five-four decision. Yesterday we had a voting rights decision. It's a five-four decision. For the courts, that settles the matter. But psychologically, for our culture, for the hearts and minds of people, those decisions say we're pretty equally divided on these issues. It's 5-4, so to speak. So that process is not done. What happens when the law says we have finished, but you and I disagree? The law is now not representing either of us totally, and it's not representing our conflict. So what's going to happen next? I'm going to say woof, woof, woof. Wait a second. You know, I don't think this is right about the Voting Act. I don't think this is right about about the uh, the gay marriage freedom that's, that's being uh, moved towards. And you say, I do. Well, you and I have to complete the process, the heart and minds change process by having that out. But you and I might not, so to speak, as two general people, might not know how to do that too well. So we might get rather extreme because those extremes are marginalized. They're pushed out by the mainstream decision. So in some way, the extremes need to come back in. I'm going to give you a great example of this. Go on to some of the bigger uh, internet uh, websites. Go on to like Huffington Post, for instance. Right I write for Huffington Post and for Psychology Today. Go on there, and if you looked at that Doma decision, I don't know how many comments there would be, but there could be 20,000. Right. 20,000. There's an article that's maybe six paragraphs, five paragraphs, and 20,000 comments. I think there were 40,000 yesterday about the Voting Rights Act. That's a dialogue, and that dialogue is hot, meaning meaning that anger, that forcefulness that people still have in them. They haven't still spoken up yet. It's not decided in the people's hearts and minds, and the battle goes on and it gets hot. So we need to learn what to do with that heat. How do we hold that as counselor-oriented people or healing-oriented people? If we tell people to just chill out, we're going to push them out of the discussion. They're going to lob bombs back in.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. What yeah. Well, it's already happening. I mean, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you take a look and, and honestly, I actually don't really, uh, I don't read the news. I don't watch news on television. I do stay abreast of things that, you know, um, that I'm drawn to. Uh, but I'll tell you on an issue like this, an issue like the one yesterday, you, you could rest assured that I'll get text messages and other things. But you're right about that. You know, you know, part of this is we have now gotten to a place, right? Well, here we are, and you're right, whether it's the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune, which came out because of the the issues in that area, or Huffington Post or whatever it is, you know, Washington Post, whatever post post you're you're reading, you know, the conversation uh, or Fox News, whatever you're reading, here we go now to a conversation about how can we continue to fight this. I mean, one of the things that, you, you know, you're saying is so important is, you know, how can we now build, build up our arsenal, you know, to move our own personal agendas forward and never really have a conversation about what any of that means to anything. Um, and, and, you know, here we are talking about this. And let's talk about what the meaning is from your point of view, I think. A conversation about love-based psychology, because I think you and I know that for a really long time, and even today, uh, it's really difficult for a psychologist now to even talk about spiritual and positive psychology. Uh, You know, I have two friends that walked away from their, you know, their psychology practice because they wanted to incorporate a spiritual aspect of it. and it just wasn't going to work I mean there's how do you use that it's not in the diagnostic book you see what I'm saying (laughs) I
1: see exactly what you're saying it's really important what you're saying because main psychology, or I'll call it quote-unquote Dr. Phil psychology, and that's mm-hmm. not a personal hit on him, I don't know what no. he's like in person or in his private practice, or if he has mm-hmm. one for that matter, but I'm, I'm taking the straw man that we see modeled on a TV show, so mm-hmm. that's the who represents something that many of us do and he'll say something like what are you thinking, or how is that working for you if you're eating something and it's not working for you to eat ice cream, stop it as if it's, sim- or as, if it's, as, if it's as simple as that, if people are having conflict like, don't do that, don't be angry and the problem is that they push, I'm going to get to your spiritual issue, they yeah. push out of the box that we're looking at all the material that they don't like. There's nothing else left. So, the, so we have to start questioning what uh psychologist should do and what is healing. Let me give an, an example that's on my mind, a, a client I've, I've worked with recently, Given these people anything I say, I have permission to say, by the way. Okay. So here's a person who says to me, I have a lot of money. He has millions of dollars. He doesn't have any family, no children, and he worries a lot about his money and whether he should spend any. and And lets himself spend very, very little. Right. So he's a person with millions of dollars who puts themselves on a very tight budget. There's seemingly no reason for him to do that. So mm-hmm. most people and counselors that he had been to say, you know, hey, take it easy. You can go on a vacation. You could fly your friend to visit you. You know, things that wouldn't make a difference. All that seems reasonable if we were taking a normal approach. All that seems reasonable if we were taking a Dr. Phil approach. That's not working for you. You have a lot of money. Let me convince you of that. And, what, and that's interesting. Of course, we'd want to do that. But what it throws away, Dr. Pat, is what is happening there? What is this worry situation? If we believed in it, I call that loving. If we believed in it, maybe there's something interesting. Maybe there's something rich behind the worry. So I talk to that person. I say, talk to me about your worry. I'm not going to try to get you to go make it go away. Not yet. I don't know what's happening for you. And he goes into his worry and a sense of, and a sense of almost impoverishment that he feels. And in that discussion, in his sense of impoverishment, he feels connected to people in the world. He feels like some other people who are suffering. He cares about animals that don't have homes. So isn't this fascinating? The very thing we want to get rid of, his worry, his sense of impoverishment, when we know rationally that doesn't make sense. Right? If I told you the numbers, he would kind of go, he doesn't need to worry. But psychologically, in his worry, is a connection with humanity. He has no other place. In mm. some way, there's something beautiful there. He feels like a human being who's got difficulties, who doesn't only have the things that he wants in life. It makes it moves his heart. You could say his spirit, in yeah. a real way, is touched, not with his security. But with what people would think of as a bad thing, his insecurity makes him alive, makes him care, makes him want to reach out to other people. I think how beautiful. Now, if he gets to know that part of himself, his own care about humanity, his passion for other people and creatures, that if he gets to know that, he might loosen the grip on the money worry because he actually worries about people. Right. All kinds of people, right. but he doesn't right. know that it shows up in a place that doesn't look so good. But actually, behind it is almost a spiritual direction for his whole life about what is he going to do with all of his rich, his riches. So, mm-hmm.
0: you know, one of the things that I think is so important about this conversation is somewhere along the line, and 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 this is why I'm so so thrilled to have you on here to talk about this is to really talk about you know who we are first and foremost and. What does respect have to do anything with it? And, you know, let's talk about respect for a minute, because I don't know if you know this, but, you know, one of the things that was clear about the ruling today, you know, was the conversation of respect that came actually out in one of the statements, you know, uh, talking about that folks would be less respected. And it was so interesting because I looked at that and I was I was reading some of the things you had to say. Um, also, I, I wanted you to know this as well, whether our audience knows it or not. Multiple studies across the board, including my own research, you know, feel... And this is, this is real research. I thought I'd save this for chatting with you this time, David. Mm-hmm. It says that the number one thing that folks believe other people are obligated to provide mm-hmm. is respect. Yeah. So let's talk about respect in the context of, of psychology and what talking back to Dr. Phil, the book, and uh, the idea is or isn't from that point of view. What does respect mean to you?
1: It's a great question. I'll say two things. Okay. One is the word respect has the root re, R-E, which means to do again, repeat. And then it has the root spect, S-P-E-C-T, like spectator, spectacle. That means to see to see again so literally if we take the part, word apart it says look again don't just take a glance take time look again now psychologically what does that mean that means if somebody comes with to me with a problem and i'm going to respect them and their problem let's say a person says i'm depressed i say, oh, oh, my gosh, let me help you with your depression. I'm going to anti-depress you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to leave you feeling more up than you used to because depression is a downward thing. I would say, not much respect yet. I have no idea what they mean by depression. There are many different kinds of experiences people have. So I would say, I, I haven't seen them again. I haven't looked again. So I would say, hmm, tell me about what depression is like for you. That person may have never been asked that question. It's a simple question. Right. It's not like it right. doesn't take years of study to ask that question, years of study to follow the roots of the answer, but not years of study to answer, ask the question. That person might say, oh, it's like a huge weight on me all the time that what pushes me down, and i still in my respect mode. I want to see more. I say, go ahead. Can you feel that weight on you? Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's you, just like, a, like a heavy weight on my shoulders. And if you were... If you were free, what would happen? Would it just push you down into the chair? Yeah, I'd be slouching all the way down. My hands would be on. I'd be on the ground, you know, not moving, (laughs) right? Something like that. I'm exaggerating but people might think like that. So now I'm respecting. I'm not doing anything more. I'm not trying to get them out of the problem yet. I haven't seen the problem yet. (laughs) I haven't respected their problem yet. Now I'd say, let's go. Let's go all the way down. Lay down on the floor. Let's drop out. Let that weight win for the moment, being it's winning. Let's not fight it yet. Let's not make it an enemy. And that person might lie down on the floor. I'm thinking of certain people. And they might go, oh, I hardly ever get peace in my life. Tell me about peace. Still respect. Tell me. I don't know what peace means for you. Peace might mean walking up a mountaintop, or it might mean laying on a beach, or it might be sitting with a friend, right? Or it might be finishing a task. I still don't know what they mean. Tell me about the peace that you mean. I mean going back into my childhood and all the dreams I had for my life. That's an interesting kind of peace. I'm not learning any of that unless I respect that person. Look again, and pretty soon I'm going to be finding out some incredible things in their depression, in that downward motion. They start telling me things that are important to their life that got left behind. If I didn't respect them and boost them back up, I anti them too quickly, they get back up. But guess what happens to those early dreams that they want to connect with? They get left behind just like they used to. So in that case, I should expect that person to head back down again because their life process, you could say in a spiritual way, is still wanting to go down there where the dreams are that they left behind. We have to go down with them, follow their nature, not fight their nature so much.
0: Mm. You know, part of what the conversation is, too, and this is something that you do really well, is, you know, talking about what our mainstream conditioning is all about and the popularity uh, around that. I um, you know, I, I was I was shocked by a number of things today, um, you know, especially, you know, so, sort of sitting on the in, in the backdrop uh, of of watching some of the decisions that are made and some of the things that are happening and some of the aftermath and the conversations. And, you know, and I was I was rereading your book to get ready for today. And I was thinking to myself, what really are we talking about here You know, what are we talking about when we when we say to ourselves, what does a different process look like? What does it require each each of us that perhaps works with clients to show up as you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you have to show up as, David, in order to really practice this love-based psychology or uh, an approach which actually allows people to be heard exactly where they are?
1: Well, that's a, deep, that's a really beautiful and deep and deep question. Right. I'd love to answer that. Had, no one yes. ever asked me that question before. Yes. so it's, it, it touches me, though, in a feeling way. I would have to say that to you because uh, mm-hmm. I don't get to talk about that, and it's very meaningful to me. What I personally do... To practice uh, love-based psychology with someone, um, if you could see me, my arms would be out like a big circle, <laughs> so my hands are my hands are showing me the way. And what I do is I sit with someone, and I wrap my arms around what who they are and what they're saying to me, not physically. I don't have to touch a person. That's not the point here. But I, I wrap my arms around and I think, and I sit there. If a person comes to see me the first time, I had a client who came to see me today I'd never seen before, so I can't talk about the details of her process. But I sit there, and I think, what kind of human being is sitting before me? What is amazing about them? What is amazing about them that's going to show up in what they call their greatest difficulties? They're going to say this person didn't talk about smoking, but let's say that but I'm thinking about another person who said I need to stop smoking. And I think, Dr. Pat, right, what kind of amazing capacity or gift does this person have that's going, to sh- that's going to show up in this smoking? I bet you they're going to show me something incredible. I'm going to believe in them right there, not anywhere, not like they're great and they'll overcome. I'm going to believe that right in the most difficult place is the possibility for them to flower the greatest, just like mm. that person with the money problem, I thought in his worry, the thing we're going to get rid of is going to be some connection with humanity. Or in that depression, I'm going to connect, help somebody connect with their deepest dreams. I've never seen that not possible. That Right, right in the spot oh. where people say, I can't stand how big my belly is. I can't stand how many times I put cigarettes in my mouth. I can't stand how depressed I am. I can't stand how I'm not able to talk to my partner in a way. I can't stand how I don't I don't know how to deal with my sexual difficulties. Whatever the thing is, right there, I think they're going to show me something incredible about themselves, their deepest problem, but also something profoundly wonderful about themselves.
0: I love it. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, we're just warming up here. I can't believe this. We're a half hour into this. And oh my we're, gosh. We're, I know. It's crazy. Why don't we do this? I, but I want to take a short break. Uh, and, uh, but before I do, I, I want to let everybody know, uh, for those of you out there, I encourage you to take a look at "Talking Back to Dr. Phil." This is a book uh, that David Bedrick has put together. Here, he is the author of um, "Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology." And you know what's interesting about this book, uh, and we're going to talk more about some of uh, the, you know, some of the things in the book, are are, are that this idea of love-based psychology, and I just want to say this. You know, this is something that you find, and and David, you could comment when we come back from break. This is something that you find when a mother walks up to her young child who has just flunked a test and mm-hmm. looks into their eyes and says, Honey, I love you. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That is one other way to look at it. When we come back, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to befriend the beast. But before we do, uh, David, I would love for you to let folks know. First of all, you can get a copy of the book anywhere. But how about uh, your website? Let's make sure folks know how to find out more about you, what you're up to, where you're going to be, and all of those good things.
1: Thank you. That's very gracious of um, you. My website is talking back to. Dr. Phil. That's D R. Talking back to D R. Phil. dot com, and there they can find excerpts in the book. I write for many different places, from the Advocate, for Huffington Post, for Psychology Today. So you can read. There's a whole bunch of. There's plenty of stuff to read. It'll keep you busy if you if you don't feel like buying a book, although I, I'd like that too. There's a, there's a lot of material to read. There's a lot of interviews on video and radio there. Um, People can also contact me. I do most of my practice, actually, I do on phone and Skype because um, I'm more, in, I'm connect with people on, on a more national level than only at a local level. So people can find my. Uh, my number and ways of contact me if they wanted to see whether that would be appropriate.
0: I think that's great. And, you know, we are just a Skype call away. Oh, my gosh, we're getting closer and closer every minute. You're listening to The Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. For more information about us, go to thedrpatshow.com. You can also go to transformationtalkradio.com. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about anger. You know, you've heard Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, there are 50 shades of anger, but what does it all mean to any of us? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the show. Tune in Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Transformation Talk Radio. The Awakening Radio with Patricia. This hit show awakens your dormant, divine, feminine energy. The Awakening Show is the next step on your evolutionary journey through life. Get ready to awaken the dormant seedings within you, your soul's encodement, power, and purpose, and bring this forward with confidence and clarity. Clarity through the power of your own voice. This show promises to boldly go where you've been before. You just need to remember. Be inspired. Become rewired with the Awakening Radio. Visit awakeningradio.com for weekly topics.
1: Are you ready to have all your relationships work for you? Those with your family, friends, and coworkers? Perhaps with a lover? How about with your body and your money? Ask Susan. Relationship counselor, life coach, and access consciousness facilitator, Susan Lazar Hart, has assisted thousands in creating relationships that truly work for them. Ask Susan, a monthly telecall where you can be heard and receive simple tools to apply to all your relationships. AskSusan.net. That's Ask-Susan.net.
0: Chris Stainis is a spiritual leader and healer and teaches a course on how you can transform your life through a meditation and healing system that will manifest your spirit's dreams. She manifested the Women of Wisdom Conference, the Women of Wisdom book, and this radio show. And she can show you how to change your life, too. Are you ready? Visit the website and contact her at VoicesOfWomentoday.com. That's VoicesOfWomentoday.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I want to welcome you back to the Dr. This is talk radio to thrive by. What a great show. Talking back to Dr. Phil, uh, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology. The book is by David Bedrick and my very special guest here today. You know, David, before we kind of dig into and we're going to really get into some conversations about some of the things in the book and, you know, what we believe in, what we think works and, you know, you know, what love has to say about anything. Tell us about some of the upcoming events and maybe even classes that you're putting together for our listeners.
1: Oh, thanks. Um, actually, I'm, right after our show, I'm in, I'm in New Mexico. I'm going to the airport uh, to, to go to New York, which is my hometown. Some people will hear that in my pace and style and accent, etc. Huh. Um, uh, Friday night from 6 to 8, uh, there's a free event at Blue Stockings Bookstore. Uh, it'll be a- Six to eight, and I'll be able to do some reading there and talking. And people can bring questions, and I'm happy to address personal questions, group questions, uh, in, in that venue. And on Sunday, I'll be at uh, New York Open Center, and that's a ten to I think it's ten to five thirty. It's a one day program. That's called Body as Guru. It's how we can. Use our bodies to get information about uh, things that we need to know, as opposed to looking outside to use our body information. So I'll be teaching people how to do that, uh, that kind of techniques.
0: Oh, I think it's. Uh, thank you for for doing that. And again, for those of you out there, if you go to the website TalkingBackToDrPhil.com, dot com. You'll be able to find out all about David about uh, you know his uh, you know his uh, articles that he writes and get a copy of your book. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple of different things and i and I guess <laughs> there's so much I could talk about, but I guess you know I, I think i'm a little bit uh, what do I want to say a, a, a little bit uh, uh, struck by the headlines today and yesterday and so forth and yeah. I, I think more importantly i I'm, I'm just um, it 's a little disconcerting uh, at some point to to listen to some of the comments that are being made by people in the highest court process we have and mm-hmm. some of the language and and I was thinking about you i mean words like um sodomy and I I mean I just you know you're talking about characterizations in your book you're talking about judgments and you know it's really interesting to hear some of the comments and especially jokes being made after the decision Mm. and 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 I'm really struck by what we can learn from these kinds of things but more importantly there are going to be a lot of people that are are thrilled about this, and a lot of people mm-hmm. that are happy, and yet the question is going to remain: How do we come together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do we learn from anger, and what do we learn from those around us that are angry?
1: Well, there's, there's two different things that are going on. One is yeah. relative to a group. I call it a group or a nation or a community situation, let's say gay marriage, right? It's a, it's a national among um, an international, but let's just stay with our own nation. It's mm-hmm. a national conversation. How does a national conversation happen? One thing the conversation needs from a love-based psychology perspective is a facilitator. That means somebody needs to listen to the conversation, hold it, and think that there's something meaningful and rich that could come out of it. Otherwise, we have two options. Let it go, then people might hurt each other and injure each other. Not so useful in my opinion, right, at best. Or we could stop it, stop it. I won't let you say this and I won't let you say that. That doesn't help long-term either because if I can say something, and somebody stops me, I'm going to think it, say it, act on it, treat people in a certain way anyway. So we need a facilitator in the conversation that says, hmm, that's interesting. You just said something very provocative, dear justice, dear person, <laughs> dear whoever you are. Let's can we stop right there and have somebody respond to that particular thing? You just said... Um, uh, The the voting rights law are are, are racist, not the – the the laws are racist, not the people, right? Some people would say – and then somebody (laughs) might go, you are disgusting. That's the most racist thing. You don't get it, right? So it gets hot. Now, right. needed, So I think so far, actually, I think okay, except for we need somebody, like a, a counselor, a, 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 a facilitator who's going to say, wow, let's slow this down. This is a really important moment. This is the kind of conversation that's happening a lot, but no one's holding it down and seeing if there's something that can happen from it. Can we please slow down and say, what happens for you when that person says that? Can you bring that in? Can we take that conversation and deepen it rather than try to make it go away? Because making it go away, tends to push it underground like, like anger in general and then it surfaces again unresolved. So uh-huh. how do we help a person have that conversation? Uh, if, um, let's, uh, let's take that into, the, into a, a more personal scene. Let's say there's a couple sitting in my office, right? And the two people are talking over each other and they got a lot of oomph to them ra 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 no ra 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 right <laughs> so you now one thing i could do is say hey slow down quiet down one person at a time let's make a a literal a metaphorical talking stick i'm making rules here one person at a time it's not a bad rule it might help but if there's that much passion and heat in those people it's not going to help outside my room when i'm not in control of that scene so mm-hmm. now what so i have to then teach them dr pat what to do with all that heat Wow, you're a furious, hot, intense, passionate person. You don't even want to hear a word that other person says. I'd say, let me know. Can I say to the other person, I know I'm going to hold you down for a second. Can you be quiet? Could you the person tell me something about that desire to not even hear one word that that person says? If that's what you're doing. Not putting it down. Tell me about that. Tell me about wanting to assert yourself and not hear anything anybody else says. And that person might say, you know what? I'm listening to people all day long, my whole life. That's really important for me to know. That person may feel that they've been holding themselves in for way too long and I say tell me about holding yourself in all your life or feeling held in that person's going to go you know what it's like that person's going to give me all that heat and I'm going to understand that because I get it at that point I've lessened that heat a little bit I found where it belongs but I haven't done that by suppressing them I've found that by respecting looking carefully at what they're showing me and think maybe it belongs somewhere, maybe not with their partner, right? Maybe with their partner. Maybe they've listened to that person for 30 years. I don't know. But so in that way, I'm facilitating the anger. I'm not just saying yes or no to it.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I think is so important in this conversation that you really bring forward in the book is that there is another way. And I, I think, you know, I want to be really clear about this. Um, and, and I think you did it so, so brilliantly because, you know, what you're saying is you're pointing to, you know, one of our, uh, American icons in, in the field of uh, what we talk in the field of psychology. There are a couple, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Ruth is still one of them. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. But, you know, Dr. Phil, and being on mainstream America, when you hear the words, Dr. Phil, you have a sense of what that means, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. There are more people that know the phrase, how's that working for you, yeah. than they know uh, about uh, uh, the Constitution. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Yeah. Here we have this icon, whether you are on one side of it or not, you understand what the dynamic is. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that that means, even though we're familiar with it and we understand it, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is agreeing with it, no. but somehow we've come to be at that place. Yeah. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Doesn't this present sort of a paradox in the way that we truly go about healing? I yeah. mean, doesn't it confuse people is what I'm trying to ask you, David.
1: Yeah. There's almost, there's there's not almost, I think there's an implicit or explicit agreement on many people's part that holding a person down, nailing them, confronting them, showing them their denial about their addictions or whatever else we don't like about them, holding that spot, not letting them squirm away, (laughs) that doing that is psychology. (laughs) And I think doing that is interesting. I think you should do that sometimes with people when it belongs, but... As a healing paradigm, I think not terribly useful. For instance, he has he has a lot, or he has a book, and then does a number of shows on diet, weight loss issues, mm-hmm. and basically he's sitting there doing something like what we're saying. Uh, it's not working for you, is it? This pattern of behavior, this pattern of eating, et cetera. Let me motivate you to to not eat. Right. <laughs> one right. one show I talk about in the book, he has I think it's five or six women who are are on their way to become married, and he says, basically, I will offer you your favorite wedding dress if you lose weight, if you lose 40 pounds, I'll, <laughs> I, and I'll get it for you, and let me model it. Here, I'm going to parade women across the stage, that modeled, modeling a dress by a woman whose X size is smaller. <laughs> That's supposed to motivate people. And many people think that would be motivational. Wow, look at how beautiful I can look. Look at, look at, I could get that dress. I don't know if I could afford that dress. Those kinds of things. But, so that's interesting. That's 101 psychology, you could say, but not very deep because most women, and I've worked with lots of women on diet issues. If you said to them, look, I'm look at you, here's another woman who's so much more attractive and so much thinner than you. Don't you want to be like her? That person might say yes, but inside that person is likely to feel lousy about themselves, ashamed of themselves, <laughs> not understand why they're eating and why they're heavy, trying to do it, maybe it's losing a little bit of weight, but then probably failing if given the statistics show that 90% of the people don't lose weight sustainably, 90 to 95 actually, and then feel worse about themselves after they try and they fail again. That's what's about to happen. So we're setting up people in a way, to fail with that kind of uh, psychological suggestion. That's at least my opinion, but the data would bear that out. And we don't know anything. We haven't done what I would call that basic respect. What do you like to eat? Can you tell me what it's like eating that? I could tell you lots of stories about that. And you find out amazing things about people that then helps them eat less. But first, they need to know something about what they're hungry for, and usually they don't.
0: Yeah, mm. uh, because I mean, what we're doing here is we're missing a few steps, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I mean, yeah. what is that show that's out there? I don't even know if it's out there. Uh, 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 smarter than a fifth grader, or something, <laughs> some show like that, right? Right, 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 right. 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 Mm-hmm. And so somewhere along the line, I think we we have forgotten. And one one of the things I want to say about this is. I know you as well as me. We've, we've gone to a lot of school. I don't know how long you were in school. I was in school a lot of years.
1: Yeah, a lot of years. Learned, <laughs>
0: learn, learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which actually don't boil down to how's that working for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, you, you know, somewhere along the line, there are some very, very good things mm-hmm. that have been discovered. In the world of psychology, as we're calling it now, Mm -hmm. and sociology, by the way, Mm -hmm. some very, very good things. And, you know, those good things really point to a lot of the things that you reference in the book. Mm -hmm. And and I want to just come back to the conversation for a minute of why a love-based approach to psychology, and by the way, many other things, might be the key for really transforming human behavior. Let's talk about that for a little I, bit.
1: I love it. That's that that's a great that's a grand vision mm-hmm. that I have and hope yeah. and if I can chip away a little bit out of it uh, yeah. and write some books I, I I'd be happy to. I think for me I would say it this way that we need a new paradigm or there is a new paradigm around for healing that doesn't mm-hmm. Suppress things, try to get rid of them, but that uh, looks for looks for the uh, the gold uh, in the in the dung heap. Jung would say, right, mm-hmm. right in the crap. Maybe right. where maybe where we need to look. Um, I'm thinking of there's a great writer. I think is it Art Spiegelman. He wrote a book called Mouse M A U S, where um, and and his father, his father literally uh, the author's father was a was a Holocaust survivor, and he writes the book telling his father's story. He sits yeah. down interviewing his father, and his father tells him the story, and he graphically represents it like a comic strip It's really but it's not it's not comical, it's quite it's very, very touching. And at one point after Pat, he tells the story about they, they're interviewing each other. he's interviewing his father rather, and afterwards he take, goes out to lunch or breakfast or somewhere with his father, and they leave the interview room and they go down to the car and he goes into the driver's seat, and his father's supposed to go into the passenger seat, and he gets into the car, but the father's not there. He said, what happened to my dad? He's supposed to be getting in the passenger seat. So he goes around to where the passenger seat is, and the father is down on the ground picking up a match or a piece of, a, a piece of wire or something on the ground, mm-hmm. right? So he's yeah. a Holocaust survivor. In his psychology, that might be needed, right? That piece of wire might be the answer. So you can if you have a heart, you would understand or feel for the history of that person with every little thing every little crumb, every little thing you might need right so but the father has a room collected with all these little things that he finds right he 's still in the mentality of of every little thing might be important he's no longer in the camp, but that's his, but that's his uh, his mentality, and the son. Is like, come on, dad, you know, when are you going to get over this? This is crazy. And many people would think in in the healing professions, how do I help the person see the light? How do I help free that person from the prison that they're still in and still living in so that they won't collect things, they won't hoard things, they won't do things that don't make sense? I think that viewpoint is only useful to a point. It excludes, it's reasonable, but it excludes the heart. The heart, I think, should start with, in my opinion, start with, I get it. Of course you can see why that person has that, that, that compulsion, that uh, immovable uh, a desire to do those things. How could you not understand that? Maybe you should listen to this person's story. In a sense, you could say he's part of him is still living there, a part of him still remembers. Maybe we should all remember, too. Maybe I should look at that and say, yes, I need to remember about the Holocaust you're teaching me. Rather than thinking you should get over it, I should think maybe these traumas are not fully Mm. done. In that way that father is an educator. He remembers, even in his behavior, can't stop remembering. Maybe the whole culture needs to remember. And if we did... Remember, but moved by, saw how these things long-term affect people, like soldiers come back from war. If our hearts were moved by that, maybe he wouldn't do that so much. Not because oh. I've helped him see the light, maybe I need to see the light. Maybe we as a culture need to be trained, educated, not forget certain things. To me, that kind of orientation, I would call that a loving orientation, might be healing for him, but everybody around us.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I want to ask you this, David. Here you are, and I didn't really talk to this, and I, I think I'm going to just talk to it now here. I've got uh, We've got a little time left in the show. Mm-hmm. You graduated, okay, for everybody out there. This is what I love about this story. You graduated first class, uh, Lewis and Clark Northwestern School of Law. Mm-hmm. First class, Juris Doctor, right? Yep. I want you to tell everyone that's listening what that actually means, because I think this is so wonderful that you and I get to have this conversation. What what was it you discovered in that journey? And for those people listening, because then you went on uh, and and went to the Process Work Institute. You know, you studied four years and beyond. You know, for you to be able to have this conversation, but there's something inside of you that must have come to the forefront, mm-hmm. you know, for you to see there's another way
1: mm-hmm.
0: for you you know and, and I think it would be interesting for you to talk about what that might be because mm-hmm. as you did, so are many people listening to the show. Mm-hmm. they want to be inspired to know that we can change our direction in life mm-hmm. and 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 have extraordinary meaning and influence. And help others to live such a full life. Could you talk to that for a minute?
1: Well, that's a that's a that's a thing I want to unpack. My hands are making a little uh, like holding onto a big lump of clay that I want to unfold or something like that, Uh, relative to my own process, my own journey, as it were. I recently had the great uh, satisfaction and joy of... I'm 57, by the way, and I connected with a friend who I had. He was my best friend at 5, 6, between 5 and, I don't know, 13, 14 or 15 or something in there. And then we didn't see each other much for the next 40 years, basically. And um, So I was remembering uh, many things about our, our history. So I grew up in a Jewish family and uh, and was going to Hebrew school to study Jewish, I you know, we went to regular public school, but then I went to Hebrew school afterwards mm. to, to pr- proceed and learn, and I remember the rabbi in my first Hebrew school was talking about Jews being chosen people, but my best friend, the man I just spoke about, uh, was Italian, <laughs> and my feelings got hurt, <laughs> that... <laughs> He said, your And I was like, so I asked her, I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean by chosen? <laughs> I don't remember how I said it because I don't remember the dialogue. But I remember uh, wanting to understand that because my friend, I didn't want. I didn't feel like it was right that he should be excluded. I didn't. He looked like a good person too. I didn't see that I was better or not. And uh, long story short, uh, I had an argument with that rabbi. I never got satisfied, and uh, uh, and never went back to that Hebrew school. I went to another Hebrew school. Had the same argument with with another <laughs> rabbi because <laughs> the first thing I wanted to know was, is my Italian friend cool too? You know, is he okay too? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and you could say that was the budding of a theology, although I didn't really think of it spiritually. I just thought about my friend at that. that Time uh, I guess, like people do about uh, uh, gay friends, or what do I do right, what do right. I do with that problem but the, but the reason I tell that story is something in my heart was always. Caring about, focused on who was being excluded, well what parts of people were excluded? if you were a tender person, did you have to have a tough upper lip if you 're mm-hmm. a woman, could you also be assertive if you were whatever if you were Italian, could you, <laughs> you speak English, whatever it is you know uh, mm-hmm. if you were a street person, could somebody see some value in you, in you? I always had that heart that looked at that, and I think that moved me on to law school and the sense of justice and moved me on to uh, psychology, looking for uh, more intimate ways of working with that problem than than the law. So as my own journey has sort of said, what gets left out? Should we let's not leave out the anger? Let's not leave out the depression only. Not until we respect it enough to find out. Uh, so in some way, I'm still talking to my childhood friend, saying, let's <laughs> not leave it out. Let's not leave him out. Right? Maybe there's something. Maybe maybe as Jews, we need him somehow. <laughs> right, so right, speak. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but
0: the reason I'm asking this question is because I want folks to know, you know, uh, when. when When someone likes you, David, and I'm not sure how many doctorates you have at this point, uh, but when someone like you writes a book about talking back to Dr. Phil, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology, you know, the follow up book might be given if we looked at your background, not necessarily who you really are, but look at, I mean, maybe your follow up book is talking back to Judge Judy. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean that could be a book,
1: but the point it wasn't the what is, I was thinking. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: that wasn't the book you're thinking, but I'll tell you that's a good one. That would be a good, one. and only someone like you could write. Mm. But here's what I love about this. You know, the whole idea about talking back is an mm. empowerment statement. Yeah. And someone said something to me the other day, and I, I didn't want to run out of time before I chatted with you about it. Someone the other day said. And this is someone that, kind of like you went and me, went through a lifetime where we really did have to fight for our rights. I know I did at yeah. many, many levels. But, but then there was this period before I dialed the wrong phone number, I got my radio show, where I got very silent. So the idea of talking back became stigmatized in, in, in our country, and I think it still does. And so I wanted you to talk about that for a minute in a lot of ways, because this idea of talking back to Dr. Phil is also, I equated it after I've read this book now three times, taking back. And I would love to sort of wrap the show up by talking about how what you've got to say is a point of empowerment and not dissension.
1: Mm, that's, that's gorgeous. Thank you for for well, I, I'm honored that you read the book <laughs> that many times, but that you picked up those kinds of things. Yes, taking back a certain power, and that means to me standing for our deepest, our greatest, our most beautiful, powerful, intelligent nature that means standing behind it so talking back for it so before something gets put down or what i call pathologized looks at looked at as if it's a sickness if we can get rid of this about you that would be good if we can get rid of this about that group that would be good this sort of mentality let's get rid of all the negative things and we'll only let be left with positive doesn't doesn't work so what do people need to take back and stand for they need to take for their own nature and that there's nothing deeply wrong with people. People have lots of difficulties and are up against things that make them very difficult. But the whole attitude of something is essentially flawed about my nature and there's nothing positive at all or beautiful growing in the places that people are finding uncomfortable, that particular stance is so disempowering, telling that heavy person or heavy woman they're unattractive and worse, and they should lose weight. We need somebody who stands back to that, takes back, says, "Mm, I see that it's not attractive to you. I'm not going to only agree with you, by the way. And if I do a little bit, I'm going to take back my own integrity and authority and believe that something is happening in me, in me that's worthy. There's a meaningful... Thing happening in me. I don't do things just because I'm an idiot, even though people might imply that. <laughs> I might do things for reasons that are unseen and not understood, but somewhere there's a, uh, I'm worth believing in in a profound way. At least that's how I would think about the, the, the empowerment aspect. In my book, every chapter has that a, a story about somebody who looks like they're screwed up to somebody, maybe to a Dr. Phil or somebody else, and right in that spot as i've been giving the example there's something incredible about them we shouldn't throw that baby out with the bathwater so to speak
0: well you know part of this it really gets back to one of the you know i think the primary premises for your primary premise for your work but beyond that really does talk to the place that you come from and you know i've chatted with you several times mm-hmm. um, i've gotten very familiar with your work mm-hmm. and and you could not, David, you could not be this person talking to me here today and all of the listeners today and the many listeners that will listen to this, you know, days and weeks from now, if you didn't understand fully what it means to come from that place of love. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I really do believe that whatever this book, the next book, whatever you do, I really do believe that you are on to something that mm-hmm. the world needs. Thank you. Because everyone knows, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, it doesn't matter. The one common theme that cuts across most of this is love. So thank you very much for, for joining me. One last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with?
1: Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, let me let me let me take just two seconds and you know, radio time to feel into that because I'll not give you a, 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 a I was going to say a pad answer. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> let me give you a pad answer. Oh, um, all right. um, hmm. I think it is that, and maybe i said it already. That I would say to everyone: don't believe. All the inner criticism and outer criticism, don't believe all the shaming that you're, something is basically off with you. Consider the possibility that there's something incredible, powerful, beautiful, intelligent in you, and it's expressing itself even in the most difficult places. Breathe on that. Breathe it in. Blow on it like a flame. Uh, water it like a flower. Believe in it. Put some faith in into that spot kneel before it like, like an altar in a way and see if it will reveal something i could help people do that but but even on your own or a person who loves you who's not think who isn't critical of you kneel before the altar of your own difficulties and see whether there's something other than just getting rid of them see if there's something that could flower uh, right where you would least expect it i, love I think it, it can
0: Oh, my gosh. David, you're amazing. For those uh-huh. of you out there, check it out, Talking Back to Dr. Phil. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Dr. Pat. What a, what a pleasure and honor to talk to you again today.
0: Oh, my gosh. The book, you know, we haven't gotten to it all. I want to thank all of you for tuning us in, turning us on. Please go to the website, Talking Back to Dr. Phil. Get a copy of David's book. There's so much in here. And please, please connect with David if you want to take a heart-centered approach to healing. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show. You're
1: stepping down your soapboxes Way too high overgrown. You can barely see the ground you touch the sky, your high horse As see you're getting left to you Nowhere to be found Better off dead So you said, but don't worry We all fall down somehow Oh, someday, not somehow Not maybe we're gonna make it out all right. Transformation, 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 talk radio. Transformation, 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 talk radio.
0: Transformationtalkradio.com, transforming the world.